Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. From there, my husband started to do some research and he was like, Amy, people quit their jobs and buy a boat and go out cruising. Maybe let's do that. So then it was five years later that we moved aboard Starry Horizons. So it was basically a five-year process for us and a lot happened in that time frame. But uh, it's, I mean, that sounds about right to me. You know, it's a huge, huge change you're making in your life. And so it takes quite a process to get there. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In this episode, we'll go around the world and then zero in on the Bahamas. My guest is a cruiser, circumnavigator, and author, Amy Alton, from Out Chasing Stars. She and her husband, David, circumnavigated on their catamaran over five years, and Amy shares a bit about their preparations and, of course, about the trip itself. When I chatted with Amy, she was in the Bahamas, so I took the opportunity to ask all about the cruising life in the Bahamas. And we also talked about how the liverboard life acts as an inspiration for her novels. Now here is my chat with Amy. So I was particularly excited to chat with you, Amy, as you have done something that many cruisers dream about on some level, at least, which is a circumnavigation. So let's start with that. I am curious, how long did it take you to prepare for such a trip and I don't mean mentally thinking about it but the actual actual logistical preparations the first time my husband went sailing was in 2000 and 
nine. And from there, he, we, we went out on a sale with my dad. And from there, my husband started to do some research. And he was like, Amy, people quit their jobs and buy a boat and go out cruising. Maybe let's do that. <laughs> so then it was five years later that we moved aboard Starry Horizons. So it was basically a five-year process for us. And a lot happened in that time frame. But uh, it's, I mean, that sounds about right to me. You know, it's a huge, huge change you're making in your life. And so it takes quite a process to get there. Yeah. Well, tell us about your boat. And is that, did you choose your boat specifically with the circumnavigation in mind? Yes. When we decided we wanted to take a few years to go cruising, we wanted to have a goal in mind. And we figured that originally our goal was five years. So we thought in five years, we could get around the world. That's a great distance goal for us to have, a great thing to like check off the box, although it's obviously been much more than just ticking a box. And five years is a good time span, we think, to get ourselves around. So one of the things that, one of the decisions that went into that was thinking about, if you want to go circumnavigate, you could circumnavigate in 18 months or you could circumnavigate in 15 years. But if you don't give yourself kind of a, a timeline for it, I worried that we would take off cruising and want to circumnavigate. But if we didn't make a commitment to ourselves about doing it, then we would get four or five years in and we would realize that we still had a lot of the world to see and we weren't going to make it and maybe we were ready to quit you know, it's quick cruising. So five years seemed like a very good, reasonable timeline for us to see how we felt about it. And, and in retrospect, five years, you're constantly moving regions of the world. So things are changing a lot, which is a good and bad thing. But you're making progress towards your goal, and you're seeing different parts of the world. And the, the timeline is fast. But as I said, people do it in 18 months. So we had, we had some leisure time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet. Yes. And I can understand that need to sort of have that goal to keep going. Because, you know, if you get kind of stuck in the best possible way, but it, it can still be kind of feeling in a little bit of a rut, like, ah, this same old, we've been here for so long. So I can understand that you're quite goal oriented. And having watched some of your um, YouTube videos, I know you're you're both fan of spreadsheets. So I can understand. I can picture you guys planning this out on a spreadsheet. So Absolutely. <laughs> that makes sense. So your boat is a Fountain Bajor Helia 44, right? Yes. And that was your, you went through obviously some phase of research on what you wanted to live on and travel on and what were some of the qualities that uh, led you to choose that boat for your trip and for your for your home? Sure. We talk, We knew we wanted a catamaran because that catamaran in 2009 that my husband first went sailing on, or that boat, was a catamaran, a 30-foot main cat. And I had, I had a lot more sailing experience than my husband growing up. I'd been around monoholes, I'd been around catamarans, and I knew that I liked catamarans better. So we had a short list. We wanted something that was more on the mass production side. So we were looking at the big three catamaran manufacturers, which is Leopard, Lagoon, and Fontaine Pajot. We wanted something that was kind of a 
um, moderate performance, um, very stable, comfortable living. So we knew we wanted about in the mid 40 range. We felt like that was a good size for a cruising couple, especially a new cruising couple. Now, in retrospect, I know that you can double hand pretty much anything. So um, whether it's a 28 foot boat or a 65 foot boat uh, or even bigger, but <laughs> um, we thought that the mid 40s was a pretty good range for us. We had a couple things we really wanted to see inside the boat. We wanted an owner's version. So one hole is a master cabin basically. We wanted a forward-facing navigation table. We wanted a what's called a sport top helm, which is where the helm station is kind of a few steps up from the cockpit, but it's not quite as separated as the flybridge, which is like having a second deck on your boat. We wanted to be close and comfortable, which we, we have really liked about our boat. And we wanted to be very comfortable to the elements most of the time. So in our boat with our sport top, we put on a full enclosure so that we basically, you know, in inclement weather, we don't have to get wet. We don't have to be outside. We don't have to risk ourselves further by going outside of our helm enclosure if we don't need to. So we can reef our sails or we can reef our Genoa from inside. We can drop our main from inside um, anything you know, all the more things we can do to make ourselves safer and more comfortable. So that being said, we had a short list of boats and then we went to the Annapolis Boat Show and got on our favorites. And we were kind of like, well, this Helia is really comfortable. It ticks a lot of boxes. It's a great boat for living. It is a really nice boat for living. And we've been happy with the performance of the boat in terms of she's not crazy fast, but she's also not plodding along really slow either. We average about 6.8 knots in all of our sailing, which I think is probably a little bit above average for cruising boats. So yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been very happy with our boat, thankfully. It's a, such a big decision to make, but again, people cruise in everything, so... Well, exactly. And I was going to say that it is a huge decision to make. And I guess you started with, you know, circumnavigation in mind, but many people may buy the boat first, cruise sometime, and then decide to circumnavigate on their existing boat without ever having put in the thought that you did in terms of uh, selecting a boat specifically with that goal in mind. So I'm so happy to hear that it's uh, worked out well for you. <laughs> yes, definitely. So I've seen your articles because you're a writer and we'll get to that in a moment, but I've seen your articles in on a cruising world where you talk about whales in Tonga and meeting strangers in Huahine. And I'm sure that your trip must have been just full of these kind of enriching life experiences. And I'm curious if there is any part of the world that you miss in particular now that you're sort of done with your circumnavigation, or is there anywhere where you wish you had spent more time in when you were sailing? In general, the South Pacific was our favorite kind of region. The cruising is really spectacular. The wildlife, the people, the quality of uh, accessibility for cruisers is very good. We spent two seasons in the South Pacific and basically we flew through French Polynesia. We, we maxed out our visa at 90 days and spent 
as much time as we could there. But we spent a month in the Marquesas Islands, two weeks in the Tuamotos, which is like nothing. And then six weeks in the Society Islands like Tahiti and Bora Bora. Without a doubt, if I was advising my past self, I would say get a long stay visa and do a year in French Polynesia. I think it's a really amazing cruising ground. And we were also there in a time that was, I think, probably a peak of cruising French Polynesia. Right now it's difficult because of COVID, but there's also a lot of other things that are happening in French Polynesia that's making it harder to cruise. So we had, as, as we found with a lot of our circumnavigation, we had very good timing by pure dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the best kind of luck. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Yes, I can imagine the, the South Pacific being just gorgeous and it's such a you know dream and a goal for many cruisers. So I'm glad to hear that it definitely met uh, your expectations there. Yeah, and, and French Polynesia was amazing, but also we sailed two seasons. We did Tonga, we did Fiji. Our second season, we went as far as New Caledonia and New Caledonia was something it was kind of a bonus for us we didn't think we would go but it was very beautiful pretty modern for a south pacific cruising ground so it was quite a pleasant surprise to go there and enjoy it and then if you're cruising the south pacific you're probably going to new zealand for cyclone season and new zealand itself is an amazing place as well so yeah everything's pretty great over there <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like you can't really go wrong. And yeah, that's what you did. You d went to New Zealand for a cyclone season, then you kind of tracked back, right? You went yeah. back to the South Pacific to do a, another loop yes. uh, to enjoy it a little more. That's fantastic. That's a really, really good approach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so obviously, as uh, by nature, uh, circumnavigation includes a lot of ocean passages. And I'm curious, um, in your experience, which one was the most challenging uh, for you and, and what contributed to that? The Indian Ocean was really difficult in general, but we had a passage from Chagos to Seychelles and a lot of things factored into making it a difficult passage. For context, we were in the Maldives and the very last island in the Maldives, which is called Gone. And looking ahead, we knew we were going to sail, I think it was two days, maybe two nights to get to Chagos. And then we would be in Chagos for a little while and there are no facilities there. And then we would sail over to Seychelles, which is about a week. So in Gone, we stocked up on food. We stocked up on diesel, as much diesel as we could carry. We, you know, kept an eye on the weather and decided that we were going to go. And then I think it was can't remember if it was the day before or a couple days before we left, but we got the call that my grandmother passed away and she was 96 years old, I think. So it was not unexpected. So we booked a flight out of Seychelles to come back to home, back home in Houston and attend her memorial service. Well, cruiser advice is never have a schedule. So <laughs> we ended up motoring to Chagos. There was no wind. There's nothing in Chagos. There's no residents living in the places we were in. And I think we stayed there for two weeks running our, our generator as needed to fill up our water tank, stuff like that. 
And then we thought we had a fairly decent window to sail to Seychelles. And we left Chagos. We were going to be cutting it close. We were going to get in the day before our flight. And the wind never filled in. I think we had about 12 hours of sailing. So we are motoring and David's keeping a close eye on our diesel gauge and running a spreadsheet to <laughs> see how we were doing and if we were going to make it. And with that 12 hours of sailing, we thought, okay, I think, I think we're going to get in. And then the night before we got into the Seychelles, we were hit by a storm and it was blowing hard on the nose, you know, probably looking at an apparent wind speed of 30 or 40 knots and bashing in. So we're, you know, all of a sudden our progress just goes, our VMG goes to practically nothing. And we are really uncomfortable. And it's one of those, one of those times where you just assure yourself that like the boat can take it more than you can. You just have to get through it. So that was uncomfortable and stressful. And the next morning we are motoring towards Mahe, the capital of the Seychelles, and we are watching our depth gauge and we are going, okay, okay, 200 feet, 150 feet, okay, 100 feet. We could anchor here if we had to. We like, we've kind of made it. And so we motor in, drop our anchor in quarantine. The officials come on board and uh, get us cleared in. Then I fire up the engines and they sputter and die. So we had just run out of diesel. So the whole the conditions with not being able to sail very much, us being stressed because we had a schedule, we were running out of diesel, you know, just the whole thing made it. And then the weather that hit us the night before was just really difficult. So that's a, that's quite a memorable one for us in terms of like, wow, we really, you know, flew by the seat of our pants here and we got lucky to make it in as it is. I mean, and we're fortunate that if we hadn't made it, it wouldn't have been the end of the world, but we wanted to be there. Yeah, of course. Oh, wow. That sounds like a, quite the ordeal. And I can only imagine the levels of stress you must have had yeah. trying to make that passage on time and then get back home and all that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, what did you do with your boat when you flew back home? Did you leave it in a marina or did you have somebody come live on it? Or We left it in a marina. There are a few marinas in Seychelles. The biggest one is called the, e the Eden Island Marina. And it's actually fairly nice. It's a charter base. It's, it's a big place for super yachts, which is weird. It was kind of the off season while we were there for super yachts. But for a while, we shared the dock with one of the fastest super yachts in the world. So <laughs> it's an interesting place. It's really beautiful. But the marina was nice and comfortable and easy. Oh, okay. That's great to hear. And yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear about all these uh, different kind of boats and people uh, that uh, cruisers meet while they are sailing the world. There's certainly uh, lots to explore. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So you have documented your circumnavigation on your blog, outchasingstars.com, and on the YouTube channel by the same name. So if, if anyone listening wants to learn more about this uh, circumnavigation, definitely go check these out. And I wanted to ask you now, obviously, you have completed your circumnavigation and life goes on and you're still not sick of the liveaboard life as you live on your boats. So where do you sail now after the grand adventure is over? We finished our circumnavigation as 
as COVID was just starting. So we actually got to Antigua, crossed our wake, and then Antigua shut down. So basically that meant that we got the boat secured. We had already planned to take the season off and go home. But because of COVID, we ended up extending that. So basically we were off the boat for a year, which was a good break to have. And then we got back on the boat in June in the Chesapeake Bay. And we cruised the Chesapeake Bay for the summer. And then in December, we sailed down to the Bahamas, which is where we currently are. And our intention was to have a comfortable, easy cruising season. There are a lot of benefits to cruising here in the Bahamas. And then kind of reevaluate and see how we're feeling about continuing to cruise. Yeah, exactly. And well, so it's uh, as we're recording this, it's uh, wait, what is it? It's February. <laughs> so so June and that magical deadline of for hurricanes and storm season is uh, approaching. Have you made any kind of plans uh, for that? Are you thinking of heading north? I know you've been to Canada before for uh, for a summer. So is that something you're thinking of doing again? Or what are you thinking? Right now, we are thinking that we're going to haul the boat for the season again, and we have a list of projects that we want to do. And it would, well, right now, this is what our plan is, and subject to change, of course. We have a few things we would want to do to Starry Horizons if we were going to cruise a few more years. So that's kind of something we're coming up with right now, looking for a place to do that. We have a couple places in mind. So one one's basically going to the Chesapeake again and one's going up to Rhode Island. So yeah, we're we're in progress making the decision. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a big decision to make. And uh, I hear great things about the Chesapeake Bay. I've never been, but I know a lot of people sail there. So uh, I'm sure that would be a beautiful thing to go go back to. And you know, Nova Scotia is not that bad. You know, you know, give a shout out to Canada. Yeah, we would we would love to go back to Nova Scotia again. And that was originally something we had talked about was was going back up to Nova Scotia, but with COVID, basically, it, it didn't work out. So exactly, yeah. Hopefully, this summer it will be uh, open again. So that's the way it looks now. So hopefully, nothing changes and that stays <laughs> stays as is. But I'm curious, since you do have experience doing that. Um, kind of a shuffle going up north to Canada and then returning to um, Bahamas or the Caribbean. And I know there are people who kind of do this, especially Canadians and I guess people who live in uh, sort of New England area who do this on almost like a yearly basis. They go to the Bahamas or Northern Caribbean for the winter and then they return back home for for the summer. And I'm curious, in case somebody is, you know, who is listening is interested in doing that, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's uh, feasible, enjoyable to do that sort of, I don't know, shuffle, I guess, seasonal shuffle? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we've definitely talked to a lot of cruisers who, who do this. And it's funny, because you can do a similar thing in the South Pacific, too, you can cruise in the off season, which is going to be like April through November. And then when cyclone season comes, you go down to New Zealand and you can leave your boat in New Zealand and fly back home or whatever. So yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's something we've definitely talked about. There's a lot of people here in the Bahamas who are doing that cruising seasonally uh, back and forth, which I think is good. You get a bit of the best of both worlds. You might be home just long enough to miss your boat and then you're on your boat just long enough to miss home and 
it gives you the opportunity to do what hopefully we will do. And that's find a, a place you're really comfortable with in the hurricane season. And you have a Marine services that you can continue to work with and that you're happy with and be repeat customers, but then also come back and visit some of your favorite places in the, in the islands, which is really, I think it's a good, good plan. And we'll see if we do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would love to do that. Just keep going between Canada and the Bahamas. Cause I think Canadians and Americans can stay in the Bahamas for eight months. So that seems like a, a solid plan to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad to be talking to you because you obviously have a lot more experience. So maybe you can uh, shed some light to this. What is with the Bermuda stop when you're <laughs> coming down? Do you have to go? Why can't you just go down? And this is just me not knowing the area or sailing that much either. Uh, I'm, I'm always thinking, why can't you just sail down the U.S. coast? Why do you have to go to Bermuda? Well, the catch with sailing down the coast at least for us, is that we are not able to go into ICW. So you're sailing offshore and you've got the uh, Gulf Stream opposing you. In addition to that, you're also going to have a lot of traffic. Now, granted, we know people who hop down the coast plenty. But if we're coming from, hypothetically speaking, if we were to go up to Rhode Island this uh, off-season, then we would probably be far enough north that it would make sense to shoot across the Gulf Stream to Bermuda, which would be probably an uncomfortable sail, and then break it up by stopping in Bermuda and then sailing down to the Caribbean. So going from Bermuda, like if you look at it on the map, going from Rhode Island to the Caribbean, it is quite a long stretch. Here's the, another thing with seasonal cruising is you have this hypothetically one time a year where you're doing this big passage kind of against the trade winds so you have to like get yourself in when the weather's good like we had our, our sail down from norfolk to georgetown we had the first two days were flat calm and then the next three days were an absolute beat so <laughs> it's not a terribly comfortable sail so you can try to break it up by going to bermuda try to get a little bit better wind angle by making as much easting as you can, which would be the East Coast to Bermuda leg and then sail south, basically. When we sailed Bermuda to the BVIs, that's basically sailing due south. And it, the winds are going to be coming from the southeast. So upwind sail, not terribly comfortable, but you get it done. And then hopefully when you sail back to the East Coast of the United States, you're sailing with the wind, with the Gulf Stream, and like you can absolutely fly up to Rhode Island or something. Right, exactly. So it's just the uh, natural conditions that are a little bit against you. So I guess if you are not going to fit in the uh, ICW or if you're not doing sort of coastal hopping, hugging the coast off the US, if you're trying to go a little bit offshore, that's going to be yeah. a bit uncomfortable. So, all right, perfect. Thank you for clarifying that. Because yeah. I wondered that. I was like, what, what is up with that? Bermuda seems so far off the map. Like, why do you, I don't know, is that amazing of a place to go, go and visit? So it sounds very exotic. So <laughs> yeah, it's a different place. I mean, it's, it, you're exactly right. It's exotic. And there wasn't much that I knew about it before we went. I think we were there for a week or two. No, we must have been there for longer than that because we had friends come in to visit. But it's an interesting place, big cruising mecca, and 
uh, the people are very interesting. It's got an interesting history. So, yeah, it's um, St. George, where we were, is one of the oldest North American uh, settlements. So it's like really got a lot of history. I mean, we're talking we're talking hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, no, I love um, history. So that would be a really cool place to go, go and explore. But you mentioned that you are in the Bahamas now, and I can see it outside your window, uh, that nice scenery out there. So of course, I do have questions about the Bahamas. And as we are chatting here with a great internet connection, the inevitable question is, how do you get internet? <laughs> What's really amazing is we are currently down in Hog Key in the Ragged Islands. There is a population of like 60 people that live in the Ragged Islands and they're all in Duncan Town, which is a little bit south of us, maybe 10 or 15 miles south of us right now. So we were coming into Hog Key and we got internet, internet service maybe an hour or two before we anchored and we, we came down here so we could have internet because we had things to do, not just chatting with you, Anika, but other things. So we have, for the Bahamas in general, we have what's called the My Island Wi-Fi, which you can apply for in the United States. They send you a puck and the SIM card. And then when you get to the Bahamas, you're all set to go. It's unlimited data. And we've found in Georgetown, at least this year, the internet connection is not great. And Cruisers have been talking about calling their providers and complaining because it's either the system's overloaded or something's wrong with the system because this, the connection was not very good. I did record another podcast in, in Georgetown and we had to turn off the video chat because we kept breaking up. But here in the Ragged's, we're doing pretty well, as you can see. Um, I did a couple video streaming, like Zooms, when we were in Long Island, Thompson Bay in Long Island, and the internet there was fabulous. I think we're, we're kind of a little bit far from Duncantown to have like great internet right now, but it's definitely been pretty good for us. Now, Duncantown is basically the far south island in this island chain called the Jamentos or the Ragged Islands. So further up north, which we spent the weekend sailing in coming from Thompson Bay. We had no internet, but we knew that would happen. And so we planned ahead and we were able to focus on doing fun things and having a little bit of a disconnect, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, honestly, that is sometimes quite welcome when you literally cannot have internet. So forget Instagram and Facebook or emails or yep. news of the world and just focus on the essential. Uh, which might be, you know, diving or snorkeling or cooking or, or whatever, you know, not the not the outside world. So that sounds beautiful. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Another thing on the Bahamas, because you are there, obviously, for quite a while. And, you know, cities are here and there. And there's a lot of, like we mentioned, uninhabited islands and nice beaches and all that. But... What would you or how would you describe the ease and maybe cost of provisioning and, and getting being able to be stocked up with fresh things and, and all the other good things that you want to buy from a from a store? Yeah. In our first cruising the Bahamas, which was in 2015, we stopped in Nassau, we stopped in Marsh Harbor. I think there was another big place where we went grocery shopping, but but they had like fairly big box stores and you could you could buy anything you needed. Here, Georgetown has a supermarket. Uh, Thompson Bay has actually quite a good supermarket. I was even more impressed with Thompson Bay. You can get a lot of things. They are expensive. We did a big provisioning run as most cruisers do before we left the US. We actually got a Costco membership, which I'd never done before. But I contacted local farms and stocked up on like better quality meats because I knew that I wouldn't be able to get what I call happy meats in the Bahamas. We stocked up on a lot of the things that, for example, we make our own trail mix with like peanuts, cashews, almonds, M&Ms. And if I were to buy those ingredients here, I'm going to be buying them in small quantities. Uh, you know, I'm going to basically walk into the grocery store and buy all of the almonds that they have. And it may not quite be the almonds that we want, you know, they may be like heavily salted or smoked or whatever. And we really just want roasted unsalted almonds. Anyway, point being, we stocked up on these things that we thought, well, we're probably not going to be able to get them here. We have had plenty of opportunities for vegetables. Both the supermarkets had fairly good vegetables. Thompson Bay even had a farmer's market, which like wasn't amazing in terms of produce but i was able to get eggs you can buy pumpkin you can buy i bought okra which i hardly ever cook with but that was a fun adventure i'll say and we always have the mindset that people eat everywhere obviously so when you're coming to places like the tuamotos where nothing grows because it's all sandy atolls People are importing food, and so you can buy stuff there. But people are also fishing and sustaining themselves on grains, and they're, they're surviving just fine out there. And it, as a cruiser, it can be a little difficult because, like, after our year living in the United States, we kind of got accustomed to having some nice things. And, like, one thing that we can't find here is yogurt. So maybe in retrospect, 
I would try to make yogurt myself. And actually, I have done a non-dairy yogurt here, but the yogurts that come in are highly sugared and flavored, and that's not really what we're looking for. We typically eat the unsweetened yogurt and the Greek yogurt if we can get it, or non-dairy for me. So that's an example of something that we can't get that we've been spoiled in the United States. But we've stocked up pretty well, and we're continuing to supplement it with fresh produce, fresh fish if we can get it. And we're eating pretty well. And then, of course, there's always eating out, which is great. Um, we enjoyed several restaurants in, Tom in uh, Long Island and in Georgetown. And it's, it's a great part of the Bahamian culture to go out and eat conch salad or cracked chicken or and whatever else we can get. Yeah, exactly. Well, that sounds great. You're sort of, uh, you know, adjusting uh, to the areas where you cruise in and uh, eat like the locals do. Exactly. Just, you know, that's, that's the thing to do. So that is uh, a very positive to hear. And I'm curious, uh, you know, obviously you do have storms rolling through there as well. So is it easy enough to find the kind of protected areas to get a little bit of shelter from uh, heavier weather? Somewhat, I'll say. In the raggeds here, if there's going to be a big northerly or a westerly blow, it's not great. We would ride it out and we would be okay. But what we've been having lately is really strong easterly, consistently strong easterly winds. So last week when we were in Thompson Bay, we had lunch with a bunch of cruisers later and we were like, did anybody, you know, check the check the wind and get a high wind uh, reading and we we're like, uh, turn it on at some point. It was low 30s, but it was just consistently for several days blowing really strong. Now for that, we're in a pretty, we've been in pretty good places for a strong easterly. There's not a whole lot of wind protection, but because we're on the leeward shore, the bays are very flat and calm, which is nice. So in Georgetown, there's kind of a phenomenon because there's Elizabeth, I think it's called Elizabeth Harbor, maybe, is between Stocking Island and Great Exuma Island. And the town, Georgetown, is on the windward side of Great Exuma Island. So if it's blowing really strong easterly wind, it's not comfortable to go to town. So you kind of have to like make sure you're provisioned up. And then when it does blow a strong easterly wind, everybody's over on Stocking Island. And like right now in Georgetown, there's 300 something boats. It's crazy. But then if a system rolls through and you're going to have wind clocking all around, people kind of scatter and spread out a little bit and they go to their preferred little holes to ride out. And some people will simply move over to Georgetown for as much protection as they can get and then kind of go back once the wind turns back to the east. And some people will go down to places like Red Shanks, which is basically 360 protection. So yeah, it's really interesting, but you do have to plan plan where you are based on the weather quite a bit. Yeah. And I imagine marinas are far and few in between or there is a I'm gonna put it in air quotes here, marina in Georgetown. It's primarily mooring balls and they have maybe enough room for like ten cruising boats, I think. But it is back in a hur in hurricane holes. So I know I've talked to people who've left their boat there for like 18 months or something over hurricane season. Then 
a little bit further north, maybe 20 miles north, there's Emerald Bay Marina, which I think is good unless you've got a strong easterly wind because I think the entrance to the marina is difficult. We haven't been there ourselves, but my understanding is you want to go when the conditions are really calm to get in. And then if the conditions pick up, you're going to get a little stuck because you can't quite get out. You obviously, you've you know spent time in the Bahamas now and, and previously as well before your circumnavigation. So I'm curious, what are your favorite things about the Bahamas? Or if you have any least favorite, I'll, I'll hear yeah. those too. <laughs> Our favorite things easily... One of the best things about the Bahamas is how beautiful it is above the water. Like I'm looking out my stern right now and there are a amazing gradient of colors, very bright turquoise, a little greener, dark green, dark blue. Um, so we sail along, like on our way here, we sailed, I don't know, five or six hours to get here. And the whole time we sat up at the helm and we're watching, it's 15, 20 feet deep and we're watching the seafloor pass us by because it's so clear and it's so beautiful. And we're sitting here thinking, wow, this is just, this is an amazingly beautiful place. The beaches are nice. Worst thing easily is the trash. And we did a hike this morning to, from the uh, leeward beach to a more windward beach and the there's just trash everywhere. So that's really hard. What else is good? Oh, the coral's not great. I mean, for a cruiser who's got experience in the South Pacific, like the South Pacific is the Mecca for, for coral and underwater life. We did enjoy a snorkel recently in a blue hole. And blue holes are another thing about Bahamas that are really interesting. This blue hole was maybe 60 feet deep. We did an excursion trip in our dinghy snorkeling, but we looked at it and we were like, we could get Starry Horizons over here and anchor inside this blue hole and go diving. So hopefully that's going to be on our list. It's also got Dean's Blue Hole, which is the second deepest blue hole in the world. And that's at Thompson Bay, or that's at uh, Long Island. And there's blue holes all over the place. It's really amazing. And I need to do some research because I don't know how they form, but it's fascinating. They, they they are fantastic looking both, you know, underwater and above water. I've been to one in Egypt and wow. it was actually really scary because I was just getting into diving and snorkeling and it stumbled upon it because it was like a place to go see. And I think it has a bit of a bad reputation in terms of people dying because they try a lot of different um, sort of records and, and breaking records for free diving and that kind of thing. But uh uh, it was intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be very scary. Like we've had a few times where David's had to get in the water in the middle of the ocean and you just never know what's down there. And you know, the water is very clear, but it's deceptive because there's nothing to see. And it's just, just blue ocean for miles and miles underneath you. And it's crazy. So yeah, it takes it takes some some courage to hop in the water when it's that deep. I don't know why it's scarier, but it is. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah, but it's it's fascinating, but it's also a little bit scary. So I mentioned earlier that you've written some articles for Cruising World, but you are actually an an legit author and you write books. So 
I do want to talk about the books as well, but is this um, sort of what you do for a living um, now that you are a cruiser? Are you officially an author, writer, cruiser? <laughs> I will say officially yes, and give it the disclaimer that while I work probably full-time in my writing career, I am not sustaining myself with my writing yet, someday maybe, but I do consider writing my, my quote, job, and that could be writing articles for Cruising World, or it could be writing my novels, or writing the blog articles that we post on our website. Yeah, for sure. It takes a lot of time to write anything, let alone multiple books like you've done. So that's uh, fantastic. So tell me a little bit about these romance novel series that you write under the pen name of Liz Alden. I understand that you draw inspiration from the cruising life to your novels. That is correct. The three novels that I have out right now are all set on sailboats. And they are all, well, all of my novels, including the ones that are upcoming, are based on my own travels. So the first book is called The Hitchhiker in Panama, and it is a story about a girl who comes to the Panama Canal to hitchhike on a sailboat. And we did that twice. We actually went through the Panama Canal once as a hitchhiker and then once on our own boat. So she goes to Panama, she makes all these friends, she meets this guy and she falls in love and, you know, they have a happily ever after. And one fun thing that I do for my readers, if someone subscribes to my newsletter is they have access to articles that I've written comparing the book to my own adventures. So I talk about, you know, Lila came to Panama and she was in Shelter Bay and here's a photo of my own boat in Shelter Bay and this is what it looks like. And she had this uh, moment where they took off across the Pacific and she drooled in her sleep. Does that happen? Yes. Guess how I know, <laughs> you know? Like these these are the personal things that I've put into the story that are based on my real adventures. So it's been a lot of fun to write these stories. I did originally try to write a different book in 2018 was my first attempt to write a novel. And I kind of got stuck partially because I didn't know the process very well. And so I spent a couple years joining forums and Facebook groups and learning how to be a writer. And then I wrote, started writing Panama at the beginning of COVID. And it was different for me because I was writing about something I knew really well. And in my first two books, The Hitchhiker in Panama and The Sailor in Polynesia, they are around the cruising lifestyle. But they're from two different perspectives. So Lila is new to it. Uh, in The Hitchhiker in Panama, she's not a sailor. And in the second book, The Sailor in Polynesia, Mia is a sailor. And she's this woman who had this drive to go cruising. And then turns out her husband wasn't the right person to go cruising with. And they got a divorce. And so now she's this independent woman trying to make herself happy cruising. And then she meets a fellow sailor and falls in love. So the stories have been a lot of fun to write. And they are... I think quite personal for romance novels. You know, don't read too much into that, everyone. It's just uh, <laughs> personal in the adventure, basically. the The characters are not me. The heroes are not my husband. Although there are parts of us in everything. 
Yeah, exactly. That sounds absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to check them out. And you have a new one coming out very soon. Where can we go to find that and the, the previous books and, and learn more about this? Yes, my next book, it's called The Player in New Zealand. And it does not take place on a sailboat, but New Zealand is one of my favorite locations, as I previously mentioned. So I really felt strongly that it deserved a story from me. My books are available on all retailers. You just have to go search Liz Alden, which is my pen name. And the books are interconnected standalones. So they are in the same universe. There's some crossover between the characters, but you can read them separately. So if you're itching for a romance between two super yacht crew, you can start with The Second Chance in the Mediterranean. Or if you want to read the newest book about an ex-rugby player in New Zealand who falls in love with a girl on a working holiday visa, then you can start with The Player in New Zealand. I love books that are based in some other locations other than mine. So that sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, it is basically your, your full-time job, whether it's fully sustains you or not, but you obviously sail with your partner, David. Yes. So does he work from the boat as well? Or what, what's his, uh, what does he do in the Bahamas <laughs> while, while you're writing, writing books? He has always put in uh, the most effort on our YouTube channel uh, between the two of us. He's the one who's primarily doing these things. And lately our videos have been more informative. So our, one of our most recent videos was about our passage planning spreadsheet and how we use that to kind of estimate our arrival time and how we use it to plan while we're underway. So he sits down and picks a topic and discusses it. Um, and that's been really interesting to do and a little bit different for us because during our circumnavigation, we were, we were filming more of a travel style episodes. Other than that, he's also in investing. So he does all of our long-term investing, stock market type stuff. I highly recommend a book called Live on the Margin, if anybody hasn't read it. And that's about investing and basically having the life that you want, cruising. And he's also working with his brother on a startup right now. So we are hoping to share a bit more information about that in the coming year. It sounds all sounds very exciting. And I'll have to comment on the YouTube videos. They are very informative. I just uh, watched, uh, or did watch a full video because it went a little bit over my head, but there is an open source GPS plotter. Am I getting that right? Open, open CPN. Exactly. And, and my partner, Adam, is very much into open source everything. So immediately when I saw that, I was like, check this out. We can, we can you know, start learning by, by looking at this. So that looked very cool as well. But um, before I let you go, I would love to talk to you a little bit about healthcare because uh, A, you're American and B, you've traveled a lot. And uh, I get a lot of questions about this and I'm not American, so I've got no clue. So uh, you're it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, basically, I, I, if you don't mind sharing, how did you arrange your healthcare when you did your circumnavigation and went, you know, very far away from the U.S. and possibly far away from proper hospitals and then all these things? So what did you do for that? We have an insurance policy called expat insurance, and we used a broker to get it. Basically, we are covered for a maximum of six months in the United States, although it's not great coverage. <laughs> but outside of the United States, we 
basically pay out of pocket and then we can file it against our insurance company. However, for the circumnavigation, you know, we were typically only back in the US for like a month or so out of the year. So we were getting a majority of our healthcare overseas when we needed to. We found all throughout the world, even in much more developed and sophisticated places like Australia, that healthcare is significantly better, significantly cheaper than anything we get in the United States. For example, I had a situation in Indonesia where I basically thought I had a kidney infection or a bladder infection. And we were in Labuan Bajo, which is a small town in, near Komodo National Park. We went to the emergency room. I saw a doctor. I had a urinary analysis done. They prescribed me medication. All of that was about $30 out of pocket. <laughs> and yeah, granted, the hospital wasn't great. It, you know, it wasn't a shiny, clean, modern hospital that we would have in the United States. But I felt like the healthcare I got was good. We also, this is an interesting one. In the Maldives, I had problems with my ear. And uh, basically with snorkeling, I wasn't able to clear my ear as well. And I was in some pain. So we went to this little island, a small, small village, small health center. And the doctor was Indian born, uh, trained in England. And he was like, I love the Maldives. I enjoy the heat here. I'm happy. And this is what I do. So for, oh, I think it was like $15 or something. He checked my ear out gave me all the prescriptions I needed, did a, basically I had an infection and he removed the buildup that I had in my ear. And it was great healthcare in a really small, conservative country. And um, yeah, so we've been, we've been very pleased with the healthcare we've gotten and the situations we've been in. Granted, we are very young for cruisers. So, and we are quite healthy and actively working towards being healthier every day. But yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it can be kind of shocking to Americans to, to get an outside perspective on what it's like. And I think it's a benefit of going cruising is not only are you getting healthcare that's good and inexpensive, but you're also getting the perspective of seeing what it's like elsewhere. And that is a, it's something we worry about if we were to move back to the United States, if we were continue to, if I were to continue to write and David would be self-employed and whatever, how are we going to pay for our health insurance and where are we going to get our health insurance from? That's a huge factor in deciding, you know, where we're going to go, how we're going to live. Yeah, it, that's true. Yeah, the American system is uh, obviously quite unique on a, on a global scale. It's different from the Canadian system that I'm used to, but also very different from anywhere else. <laughs> and, you know, maybe maybe the advice to give to Americans who are thinking about this is maybe don't stress about it too much. You know, if you have to get your wisdom tooth removed in Panama, it might not cost you an arm and a leg or or whatever that might be. So, uh, that's uh, I hope that is reassuring to to all the Americans listening and wondering <laughs> about this. So, 
Um, but actually, to finish off, I do have to give you one more shout out on your YouTube videos because I just recently watched your uh, medical emergency. Yes. And, and how to sort of prepare for that and what you've done and what's in your medical kit. It was a very informative video. So thank you for making that. It's quite long as well. And it goes into detail. So very handy. And another video that I would recommend anyone to go check is the Building a Cruiser's Library. Yes. Because I think that had a lot of good resources for someone like me who is getting started. And I was like, looking at these books, like, yeah, I had heard about some of them, but not all of them. So I was like, yes, I had to go. <laughs> Go get these and continue learning. Excellent. I'm glad you found those videos helpful. They're, they're a lot of fun to make. And actually, it was interesting. My mom commented. She, she said something along the lines of, like, it's really fascinating to know more about your process and see how far we've come since the beginning. And it, it just gives a little bit more background and comfort to what we're doing as cruisers. Yeah, exactly. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed learning about your circumnavigation in the Bahamas, and I think you may have just inspired me to uh, go to the Bahamas <laughs> and start doing the Canada to Bahamas shuffle. So <laughs> thank you for that. You're welcome. Glad I can, um, you know, nudge you one way. <laughs> okay, who else is ready for the Bahamas? It sounds pretty darn awesome. So a big thank you to Amy for sharing all her experience. You can learn more about her circumnavigation and sailing adventures at outchasingstars.com or on social media using the same name. If you are on Patreon, you'll also find an extra snippet of this interview posted there. And by the way, Amy's books are at lizalden.com because Amy is cool like that and she has a pen name for her creative work. Next week, it's time to dive into boat shopping once again, as I will be interviewing a broker who is also a liveaboard sailor himself. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 